Welcome to what the wait for it. If you didn't have to wait too long, I wasn't have to wait too long. It's tight. How are you, sir? I am uninfected. Uninfected. That's fantastic. You know, that's the low bar mm-hmm. these of days. 2020. Um, so just, just we're going to jump into our if here in just a second. But a quick shout out since we're talking about infections. Uh, every Monday, we uh, we get infected with knowledge. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. yeah, that's right. On uh, we and and we we spread it contagious um what the if news if if you listen to it if you subscribe if you haven't subscribed subscribe you actually get two kinds of shows in this stream uh what the if news and every monday we address um go behind the scenes of news stories uh about the pandemic about covid19 uh with virologist gabby panicia from rockefeller university and that's always good fun so um and uh, here on friday what 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 happens here at the end of the week when the infection has run its course? Uh, well, we see what is left of the carcass of reality after the infection has has finished off. Uh, because usually we uh, mess with something. We um, change something about the world um, and uh, see what happens. Indeed, indeed. For science. Uh, uh, for science, for scientific purposes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it kind of comes from when I was in, I was basically a... Uh, I was an okay science student. I actually, my grades were always very good, but I will say I was uh, impatient. And mm. uh, when we were presented with something like, uh, you know, this is how rockets go up, I would say, oh, well, what if we could, could we launch our entire school? How much, <laughs> you know, how many? I guess I would take those kind of crazy questions you get on tests, you know, if. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. The elephant is sliding down the hill. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'd want to. I'd want to do that right away. And uh, but and and there is science to be learned in that way. That's right. That's yeah, through the process of um, deconstructing reality, we uh, learn something. Yeah, yeah. So science for the impatient. <laughs> That'll do. And the playful, and and uh, you saw a, a fun article in Gizmodo, which always interesting things in Gizmodo. Yeah. Yeah. Which still, I got to say, um, is one of the great names. In, and I respect anyone who works for Gizmodo having to... Uh, this is one of those institutions, if you're around long enough, Google is another example of this. Mm-hmm. Your silly name just becomes a word and it's not funny right. anymore. Yeah, and yeah. no one notices um, how ridiculous it is. That's right. Giz- Gizmodo is a great name. It would, you know, if I had a... I don't have a dog. If I had a dog, I think Gizmodo would be a great name. That would be a good name, actually. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So uh, the headline you saw in Gizmodo, and it's from a, um, a journalist, a science journalist named George Dvorsky. By the way, George, if you're listening. Um, yeah, give us a shout out. Give us a shout out. Um, and by the way, we, we've, uh, we've kind of, uh, we've been on a slight hiatus of having guests. Um, we, and uh, I'm booking we're booking more people now and and i am very interested if there's certain people you'd love to hear um we had sean carroll the great uh physicist and uh popular science educator uh on one time and i love the way he describes it he said uh 
he got to come on the show and let his hair down. It's a place where physicists, yes, right. science, right? And be a little bit more playful, a little bit more loose than they would normally on uh, other shows. Uh, even mm -hmm. Yeah, time. most shows demand that you respect reality, uh, <laughs> whereas we destroy it regularly. Rigor. No rigor. No rigor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the dirty little secret of physics and, and, and other sciences, I suppose, is uh, hand-waving is, is done often. I am literally, by the way, as I do that, I, totally You're waving your hand. I am waving my hand. Um, anyway, George, George, divorce, George Dvorsky from uh, Gizmodo writes, uh, there was a headline, um, aliens from these worlds could be watching us right now. What I love is the number of speculation. <laughs> Whoever wrote that headline, yeah, which is usually not the writer, um, the headline person jammed in a lot of aliens from these worlds. So, A, assuming there are aliens and mm -hmm. these worlds, who knows, could be watching this right now. It's wonderful. Um, and here's, here's just, just a little bit here. Um, I'll give people little excerpts uh, from this. Let's see. Since 1990, since the 1990s, astronomers have cataloged more than 3,000 exoplanets. That is amazing. An exoplanet, what is, could you define it? Uh, a planet in a solar system other than our own. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or dwarf planet. Can see? We haven't seen dwarf planets yet. I don't know that our... We well, we've got planet. lots of dwarf planets, like Pluto's a dwarf planet. We have our own, exactly. Yeah. Um, since the 1990s, astronomers have cataloged more than 3,000 exoplanets using a fairly basic detection technique known as the transit method. Um, I rode transit yesterday for the first time in a long time, so I, I hope that astronomers are wearing a mask when they use the transit method. But no, what is the transit method? Uh, uh, what if aliens are using the same technique to spy on us? A, t a team of astronomers is now exploring this very exciting, if not totally terrifying, possibility. <laughs> That's interesting that he's terrified by that. I thought, cool. Man, maybe I lean more towards exhibitionism than... Uh, uh, that is what your name George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, George, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, the title of the new paper, published in the monthly... Oh, this is Monthly notices of the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society sums up the purpose of the study rather nicely. Quote, which stars can see Earth as a transiting exoplanet? End quote. Indeed, astronomers on Earth use the transit method to spot exoplanets, so it stands to reason that alien astronomers might be using the same technique to spot us. And I'm just going to jump to the end here. Uh, Uh, he points out another thing, which we're going to get to in a second, which is that oh, there's another thing you can do, which is look at the atmospheres of planets and say, hey, mm -hmm. it looks like there's lots of options. indications of life. Um, and one of the scientists, uh, Dr. Kalting, Kaltninger, says, uh, if we found a planet with a vibrant biosphere, for instance, we would get curious about whether or not someone is there looking at us, too. Uh, he pointed out in the Cornell Chronicle. Ah, Cornell. Shout out to a fine institution where Carl Sagan taught. Uh, if we're looking for intelligent life in the universe that, that could find us and might want to get in touch, we've just created the star map of where we should look 
first. Kaltnegger is very right, says George, to point out this possibility, though the odds are astronomically high of this actually being the case. So uh, first things first, transit method, what's that? So space is big, right? Um, and, so since uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> really big. You may think it's a long trip down to the chemists, but that's just, you know, compared to space. Ooh, well done. Um, so what that means is um, even big things like planets, I think we can probably all agree planets are fairly large. Um, yes. It turns out that big things like planets are hard to see if they're far enough away. Um, mm. And other stars are so far away that it's really hard to just look and see the planet um, because they're just so mind, mind bogglingly far away. Um, in the sense that, you know, usually when we say we see something, what we mean is we see light reflected off it. And then we focus that light to make a picture and we say, OK, I see that thing. Um, but not enough light gets to us from one of these distant planets to make a direct image. So we've had to come up with other clever ways of um, detecting the presence of a planet uh, without just directly looking for it. So the first method um, was done back in, let's see here, I think 95, if I remember right. Um, and it's called the wobble method. <laughs> and what you do here is um, uh, you watch the light from a star um, to see if it shows something called the Doppler shift, which means that the star is moving back and forth, that is wobbling very slightly. So it's not um, the astronomer who's wobbling. That is That may also be true, but that is not what we're looking for. Right. Okay. Um, so, uh, and then so if you can watch to see if the star is moving back and forth. And if it's moving back and forth very slightly in a particular pattern, you can infer that that wobble is caused by the gravity of a planet circling that star. Um, so this is a very reliable method, um, but it's a little tedious um, and kind of tricky to do. Um, but that's how we discovered, you know, the first, you know, few dozen exoplanets. So that was how we confirmed that planets, other, planets were around stars other than our own. Um, and then come the 21st century, we had some century, better century, century, century. <laughs> um, in which we, we can use a, if you can put a, um, a spacecraft up with a particular kind of telescope, you can use then what's called the transit method um, that was referred to here. And this is in some sense, much more straightforward and much quicker if you can get outside the Earth's atmosphere. Um, so this is just basically you watch a star and see if a planet moves in between you and the star. So the star will get a little dim as the planet moves in front of it. So that way you don't have to actually see the planet, um, but the, the fact that the planet is blocking out some of the star's light um, tells us that it's there. And that gives us all sorts of useful information, like how big it is and how fast it's moving and stuff like that. So it turns out that this is a, a really fast and efficient method. So now we have tens of thousands of exoplanets. Uh -huh. So they could um, call it the rapid transit method. <laughs> ah. Rapid transit. That's a great idea. We should see if we can get some rapid transit in our cities. Um, uh, there's, um, there's a problem here, of course, which is that uh, the other star and its planet and us have to be all lined up in a line, right? So if you can visualize right. for a second, um, the planet has to be in between you and the star. Right. In fact, just, just to point out, it's interesting because if you don't think about it very much, if you, you have an image, for instance, of the galaxy, um, 
than and if we were talking about stars and looking at stars in our own galaxy, for instance, uh, it it looks like a flat saucer shape. And mm -hmm. so it's interesting because I, I know it's incorrect, but my mind, if I, if I don't take a second thought, my first image is that all the stars, okay, so if all the stars have planets going around them, my image is of all of them spinning around in the same plane as our own yeah. sol mm -hmm. solar system. But in fact, they're all like, solar systems can be tilted all different ways. And even yeah, within one right. solar system, you could theoretically have planets. That yeah, that's right. So we, um, for our solar system, we talk about there being the ecliptic, which is the technical term for the, the plane that the Earth rotates in. Um, and we sort of generally assume that most of the planets in our solar system are on the ecliptic too. And that's kind of vaguely true, but they're all a little bit inclined. Um, and then you get something like some weirdo like Pluto that's inclined at like 30 degrees to the ecliptic, which is just right. totally unacceptable. Um, but my complaints have not been uh, listen to. Um, so it's the, the same kind of deal with, um, as you say, with the inclination of uh, solar systems all through the galaxy. So right. they're at all kinds of different crazy angles to each other. Right. So if we were all lined up, that is, every solar system was in the same plane, then the transit method would be 100% reliable. Every star we looked at, we would be able to see if there were planets. Yeah. Um, but actually, only a tiny fraction of them are lined up right for that. So the fact that we have found so many planets, even, with, even though we can only see a tiny fraction of them, suggests that there are vast numbers of planets out there in the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. And also says something about the number of stars mm -hmm. in the galaxy, too. Yeah, you know, that you, if you get the numbers, we're good. So here's, here's the thing. Th referring back to George's uh, fear that the aliens could see us, mm -hmm. um, meaning, although, to be true, the, before they could even see us, they have to uh, know, for instance, that they can see our sun. Let's say that's a given. But they don't know whether our sun, our star, has planets around it. Right. So they don't know we're here yet, right? Um, so they can see us. And so the question might be, well, what if we wanted them to see us? Yeah. In other words, let's suppose, so the, the program here, uh, um, I'm sure most of our listeners know, uh, one of the main programs here, at least in, in the U.S., that does this work of looking for other planets is called SETI, search for, not actually, they're not just looking for other planets, but they're looking for other yeah, yeah, specifically civilizations, right? Yeah. Search for extraterrestrial intelligence, S-E-T-I, SETI. And uh, fantastic organization, by the way, I'm a member. I suggest, you know, go ahead, join them. It's, they're great people. Um, definitely check them out. They're the wonderful people and they have a great podcast. And all that. Uh, anyway, what if, let's, let's say, Aliens out there, if they exist, might, might have, in fact, I would almost say it's highly likely they have their own SETI. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to guess that Seth Shostak, who is one of the heads of the astronomer of, of the SETI Institute, who is one of the most gregarious and entertaining science educators out there as well, uh, and who is one of the great pun punsters. His ability with puns is unparalleled. I, I shrink in, in uh, I bow to him in his abilities to be. I don't think there's another Seth Shostak anywhere in even not just the visible universe, even but beyond other planets. Yeah. Right. But suppose we want to be seen mm -hmm. by these SETI 
methods. We really want to be seen. We know maybe they'll, if they maybe they have, let's assume that their, their detection methods aren't so sensitive, aren't so good. We really want to, you know, hey, we're going because who knows how much longer we'll be here. So let's, let's just say we're here. We're here. Help. Maybe it's a, it's a cry for help. Um, and so our if this week. What the if? We try to be seen by aliens by any means necessary. Yes, we try to expose ourselves to aliens. Expose? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a way to... Redefine the SETI SETI uh, acronym so that the E means expose. Yeah, that's uh, probably right. And of course, to them, it wouldn't be extraterrestrial. Uh, it would be extra whatever the name of their planet is. Ah, good. Right? Yes, so, thank so you. Search yeah. for extra vulcanoid right. intelligence, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I like that. Let's imagine the Vulcans because mm-hmm. they, they seem to be a good people. Yeah, they're decent. Uh, we don't have to be um, afraid of them. At the same time, uh, the Romulans may be looking as well, but... Yeah, that's a whole other episode, I think. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> what if Romulans were... <laughs> Actually, that would be another fun what if, is was how we could hide ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And in fact, the three-body problem... Uh, mm-hmm. Deals with that a lot. Yeah, yeah it's a fantastic novel, science fiction novel. So, we want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Right. And, so, uh, if they're using, trans- the, transit, if they're using the transit method, um, they have to be lined up with us just so. Um, I don't think there's anything we can do about that, unfortunately, um, because the making ourselves, we'd have to know that they were there and we would have to figure, we'd have to be able to change the earth's orbit completely to make sure we transited. So that would right, be so, a, a right, so we could, thing. We could say, all right, here's what we're going to do. Let's, let's, um, we'll start with all the stars, uh, star systems, um, who might, this, this is actually a very interesting um, a question. So in other words, Earth goes around the sun in an orbit, which is mm-hmm. a flat plane. And uh, so we could, in fact, wouldn't that be the zodiac? Would it be the stars in the zodiac, which are in the ecliptic, which um, would be yes, the ones that can see us? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this is interesting. So, the the star the the what is the zodiac for I mean we all know we've heard the term. Oh, so the uh, the zodiac is a, a belt of constellations um, that goes across the sky, um, and the reason it's interesting is because from our point of view, that's the place where the sun moves across the sky. Um, so, but because thanks to Copernicus, we know that it's not the sun that's moving across the sky, but rather us moving, um, and then from our point of view the position of the sun on the sky changes with time. Um, yeah. And we have named that belt of the sky, uh, the Zodiac. Right. And in fact, if uh, anyone in New York, if you go to Grand Central Terminal, which is uh, also known as Grand Central Station, but that is an incorrect term because mm. it is a terminal, since we're focusing on being very clear with our language and accurate t- today, uh, because it is the end of the line. But Grand Central, magnificent, magnificent train station and on the roof is painted um a portion of the zodiac 
And in fact, some of the stars have little, this was built whenever this was in the early part of the 20th century, and there are little light bulbs so that the ceiling actually lights up mm -hmm. yeah, the zodiac. Cool. Very cool. So here's the interesting thing. What If the zodiac means that the sun, from our perspective, the sun passes in front of those stars. For instance, if we say the sun is in Scorpio right now, mm -hmm. this may or may not be exactly right, but let's say the sun was in Scorpio. Um, that means that planets going around stars in the Scorpio constellation do not see us right now because the sun is between them and us. Yep, that's right. So it's whatever, whatever zodiac sign is opposite on the other side of the sky. Um, that's right. That would be able to observe. Um, so six months, time. that's right. So six months from now, we will be blocking the sun. We will be passing in front of our sun mm -hmm. from the point of view of uh, the scorpions. Yep, that's right. So if we want to talk to the scorpions, and here we're yes. referring not to the the heavy metal band, um, but the aliens <laughs> who live in the constellation, yes. um, we'd have to wait. So we could plan for that. Actually, that would be interesting, right? So we could choose which group of aliens we want to make ourselves more visible to. Um, uh, so oh, that would be an right. interesting kind of project, right? Right. Um, like don't do don't do don't flash the sign. That's right. Don't do anything interesting while Until... the Gemini's are watching. <laughs> That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, cause they always, they, they bring terrible <laughs> stuff to the party and they stay too late. And, yeah. And there's always two of them. They come in <laughs> and there's twins. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. Uh, and you know, it's not inconceivable that you could build, um, something that would, something artificial that would create a transit style effect too. Um, Ooh. right. So the earth, the, the diameter of the earth is, um, uh, let's see here, what, 20,000 miles across, um, mm. which is not all that big, actually. Um, right. I mean, in, in sort of astronomical terms. So you could, um, and all you need is something that is about that size that can block light. So it can be like two molecules thick and it'll be fine. So if we really wanted to, we could build a planet-sized tarp um, that was just a couple molecules thick. That's within our our realm of possibility. So thickness, a couple of molecules, but yeah. width and length. Well, tens of thousands of miles across, but that's totally doable. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, in fact, if it's only two, it's interesting because like that would be interesting measurement as well. Like how much material is that? Might yeah, not be a that's lot. Right. It's, 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 um, it's, uh, it's still going to be a lot because uh -huh. you multiply anything by 10,000 and it gets pretty big. Um, right. But imagine just like one of those giant mylar balloons, super thin, um, but really, really wide. Right. Um, or, in fact, by the way, one of my favorite little uh, projects of the Planetary Society, founded by Carl Sagan, uh, is uh, and is currently run by uh, Bill Nye. Um, they built a light. Uh, it's called Light Sail, and mm -hmm. it is a solar sailing ship. It's something for a whole other episode, but check it out. But yeah. basically, what what it is is it is enormous sheets or one enormous sheet mm -hmm. of some kind of yeah precisely that, that sort of thing that's right yeah um yeah. So like that is and it doesn't have to do anything interesting a lot has to do is be able to block light um right and then we decide what star we want to make ourselves visible to and we stick our uh our mylar balloon um in between our star and their star um right. and if they're watching 
they'll see this artificial eclipse. And one of the nice things about this being an artificial system um, is we can, you know, we can send a message in Morse code if we want, right? Put, wow. <laughs> yeah. put, put the transit up, put the balloon up, take it down, put it up, take it down. Um, so they could have holes in it. Yeah, there's lots yeah. of, of options yeah. there for sending a signal. Um, yeah. So they would be able to tell pretty quickly, assuming they're good at the transit method, um, right. they'd be able to tell pretty quickly that they weren't seeing a natural transit, um, but rather something else, something artificial. Now, if it's a if it's a mylar balloon, then the message we might as well put it in it is what's on most mylar balloons, which is happy birthday. Yep, that's right. Um, right. And uh, we would have to time it right to make sure the message arrives on their birthday. Otherwise, <laughs> the aliens get very upset and they come and they extinguish life on our planet. Sorry for the 50,000 year, 50,000 year late birthday right. message, but hope happy, you're still alive. Belated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then once they know we're here, uh, that, that is that there's a planet here at all, um, right. then we can right. hope they're going to look a little more carefully. So as we do with the transit method, once um, you know a planet is there, then you can look a little more closely for things like, does it have an atmosphere? Now, here's a, here's a little bit of a, a flaw in this, uh, or a, something to take note of, a parameter to be aware of. Uh, I mean, and I was thinking about this. Like, you could put this sheet up on either side of the Earth in terms of, it could be between the sun and the Earth, so it could be kind of behind us as far as the... the mm -hmm. uh, scorpions are concerned it wouldn't make a difference or it can be in front of us so, so that, and the, the problem is if we put the, the sheet be, uh, in between us and the sun we might block out our own sun and then we die you know we we wanted to give this oh, gift yeah so that's, that's right there's uh, there, there's a <laughs> um uh if a supervillain gets a hold of our signaling <laughs> device um they could easily use it to block off um, sunlight from coming to Earth. And in Mr. fact, actually, I should say, actually, this is um, uh, a geoengineering suggestion for helping with global warming sometimes. Ah. To say, well, let's put up this uh, giant solar shade to decrease the amount of light that's coming in towards Earth. Um, and you can do the reverse, too, which is if you make your shade uh, shiny, then you can shine extra light um, down to oh. the surface of the Earth. Right. So some people, you quite, if you wanted to get rid of like the dark side um, of the earth, that is the night side, you could set up one of these giant mirrors to reflect down. Um, and apparently the, the rumor has it that the Soviet Union actually took this seriously as an idea to help bring extra light to places like Siberia during the winter. It's um, a good idea. Go anywhere. But once you've got the technology to put something big and shiny out into space, um, right. you can block light, you can get extra light. You can signal the aliens, all sorts of good things. Wow. But it also would increase the mood. It would improve the mood of all the Siberian people. And I'm, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I, mean, do, not, I do not them, know enough Siberians to, to infer. A bunch of happy, you know, if we increase the, all these happy Siberians running around, who knows? Maybe that probably would, could have brought down the Soviet Union faster. Or no, probably they never would have. They would have been in a good mood. Sorry, so they're just totally content. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's an important consideration. And um, but either way, actually, for, for, they're going to be confused. In other words, and this has sort of happened to us. In fact, we had uh, uh, Matt Williams 
uh, who's been a uh, frequent guest of ours, a great science writer for Universe Today and other places. Uh, shout out to you, Matt. Uh, talking about we have seen things in the sky we have seen strange star we have yep, seen stars right. do strange blinking things and that's kind of what we're talking about here we're talking about intentionally making our star appear to um dim and brighten that's in exactly an, right an unnatural way um, and um, they would be confused they might think do these people live on a giant apache rectangle or i don't know what um, and this is, uh, as you say, in the last couple of years, um, astronomers have noticed a couple of stars behaving oddly um, in, ex in precisely this sense of the light from the star is dimming and brightening in ways that are that are unusual. Um, and this turns out to be kind of a difficult philosophical problem, um, which is when you see something weird happening out in the world, what sort of explanation are you willing to accept for it? Um, so you can, when I see a star behaving strangely, um, I can say, well, maybe there's some natural process. There's something wrong with the fusion systems inside that star. Mm -hmm. Or I can say, maybe there's a big cloud of dust around it. And then I try to get that hypothesis to have some specificity that I can test further. Um, but one possibility is always um, aliens, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say, for sure. So maybe, maybe this star's light is behaving in a strange way because there are aliens who know they're lined up with us and they're trying to um, signal their presence to us. That's right. But and if I we're think this always is going to look, if we're always looking for a non-artificial explanation, um, then we'll never get to that point, right? It's a, you know, Sagan used to say, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And does this, does a blinking star rise to the level of extraordinary evidence um, uh, in the point of saying, concluding, therefore, there are aliens? So presumably the, the scorpions are, would do the same kind of thing. That is, they would be reluctant to say, oh, there must be intelligent critters around soul. You know, that, that's such a ridiculous hypothesis. Um, so we've got to make our, uh, the, the information we're sending out into the universe really extraordinary. So it doesn't look natural at all. So, there, right. so they are forced to say, oh man, there really are critters living around soul. Yeah, yeah. I think the... Um um headline writers of the world the people who write the headlines for mm -hmm. uh, media outlets they call extraordinary when they say they say extraordinary evidence is job security <laughs> no i'm sorry no, i got that totally wrong extraordinary claims ah, okay. are job security yeah right the, the evidence yeah um, and this is uh, this is a continuing problem and i should say it's it's a, a problem that's sort of at the edge of what science can do well um, because it turns out that, you know, distinguishing between in artificial and natural things is not easy. So for instance, when pulsars were discovered back in the sixties, um, they seemed obviously <laughs> to be intelligent because they're, uh, rapidly cycling radio signals, which is exactly what you would expect to see from an advanced technological civilization. Um, but then, um, but then, you know, Jocelyn Bell Burnell, or Jocelyn, just Jocelyn, Jocelyn Bell at the time, um, uh, sits down and says, well, if it was a rotating neutron star, 
then that would produce the same sort of thing. So you've got your two possible explanations. Could be a, a rotating neutron star, which is weird, or it could be aliens, which is extraordinary. So we'll take weird over extraordinary. Um, and this is this is this this a, a really deep problem in SETI is how do you know you have found something artificial um, when you yeah. find it? And it's actually the same problem that um, archaeologists have is uh, they're digging and they find some kind of structure. They're like, okay, well, is that a wall? Um, or is it just a weird geological formation? Um, oh, and these are right. really hard questions to resolve. There's no, there's no easy flowchart for deciding um, natural versus artificial. Whereas, for instance, to use the geological or the archaeological example, um, if you find a dinosaur skeleton... Mm -hmm. that's pretty obvious that's a there there's no known natural uh even or a fossil even you know like a shape of a you know perfect yeah. uh depiction of a, a fish or a plant in this uh rock there's no known natural method for making something so no but that's right and but i should say back in the 18th century when fossils were still a new thing that was not obvious so one of the explanations for fossils was that there are just natural processes that make things that look like bones like why that why not uh, i you know i i don't know anything about how rocks form so why not right. this um and there i should say there actually are rock forming natural rock formations that do look kind of organic um like if you google um native silver or native copper um uh, they they look kind of organic kind of like a tree or a fungus um, so at the time people said, well, it's not that much harder to imagine that if, if rocks can form in ways that look like plants, surely they can form in ways that look like animals too. Um, and then over time people decided that that was not the best, um, explanation. So that must have been before they started to find, or at least, uh, you know, there are some fossils that look, it's an incredibly detailed, almost x-ray of some kind of those creature. yeah those are pretty rare though right for every right. perfect skeleton um you find a hundred thousand shattered shells and coprolites and things um right i could see like a seashell um which actually if you go to fossil i, I just love it because I, I used to go fossil hunting all the time in, oh, cool. in maryland and pennsylvania there were places where it was like shale i guess or there was flat you know there's certain kinds of rock um also out of the grand canyon i was i was hiking along a, a path an ordinary path nothing no external no weird remote place and picked up some rocks and you can find it at the top of the grand canyon uh you can pick something up and you see a beautiful seashell fossil mm -hmm. yeah in the rock but i could see oh it's a spiral Maybe that could have been a natural thing. Um, so let's, I'm going to jump to an even more dramatic method, which is the wobble method, calling back all the way, going full cycle to the early part of the if here. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this is so dramatic, I think it needs the wobble method. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Suddenly in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> yeah. What if we want to use the wobble method now? The wobble method means we have to wiggle our star. Yeah, that turns out to be a little trickier. And um, not just wiggle it, but for instance, we know that actually it is, if they have sensitive enough, sensitive, if the scorpions have sensitive enough detectors um, on whatever they're using, uh, they actually will see our star moving a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. So just kind of explain that and then talk about, well, how do we change that to something where we say, no, 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 this is um, not, we're going to do something not natural, only Yeah, so creatures. it should we'll take a moment to, um, I mean, to talk about the Doppler shift, which some people mm-hmm. are familiar with and some people aren't. Um, but basically, it's this phenomenon that you're used to hearing with sound, uh, which is when, say, the ambulance is coming towards you, the pitch of the siren sounds higher. And then as it's moving away from you, it sounds lower. So right. as the ambulance goes by you, you hear that phenomenon that you've, you already know where it goes, Wee! right? Yeah. Or this is also what the TIE fighters in Star Wars do as they go by you. Um, they're, yeah. they're high pitched as they're coming towards you and low pitched as they're going away. So when you, if you were a really careful listener and you hear an ambulance siren, but you can't see it, by you would be able to tell whether the ambulance was coming closer to you or further away from you just by listening. Right. It's not just the volume we're talking about, but the right. actual it's, it's pitch. The actual, the, that's right, the pitch of the sound, the frequency of the sound. Yeah. Um, so this turns out to be an extremely reliable tool, um, and it applies to anything that is a wave. So sound is a wave, so it has this frequency shift. Um, and, but then light is also a wave. So if you look at the light from um, a distant star, if, it is, if that star is moving towards us, then the frequency of the light is going to be a little higher than it would be otherwise. And we call that a blue shift because blues are higher frequency than reds. And if the star is moving away from us, uh, it'll be a little redder than it should be. And we call that a red shift. Right. So by measuring that tiny uh, blue shift or red shift, we can measure very precisely how fast the star is moving uh, either towards us or away from us. Right. In fact, if you were, and, and I've seen this depicted in some science fiction novels, for instance, I know Alistair Reynolds has used this sometimes to great effect. If you're traveling in a ship and you happen to be moving at high speed, not light speed, but you know, some high. significant portion yeah. of light speed, all the stars in front of you will look blue. Yeah. And all the ones behind you will look red and that's just an illusion if you were to stop all of a sudden everything will go back to normal but it's this this strange effect that happens yeah so if you're so if we watch a distant star um and we see that it goes uh blue red blue red blue red blue red that's the wobble that we were talking about earlier um and if we so for instance someone watching our star from the right angle um, would notice that it goes blue, red, blue, red, blue, red um, with a one year cycle. And they would then conclude, ah, there is a planet circling that star with a period of one year. And when the planet is moving in one direction around its orbit, it pulls the star towards us. And when the planet is moving in the other part of its orbit, it pulls the star away. And when I say pull, I'm talking about gravity here, right? So the sun is massive, but uh, we still pull on it. A little bit, and but we meaning the Earth, um, and it turns out that that wobble is enough. So, if we want to make our wobble extra noticeable, um, this is tricky because the amount of wobble we get depends on uh, the size of our planet because it's just gravitational. So, we would so if we wanted to manipulate the wobble of our star, we need a planet-sized object and an easy way to move it around, um, which right. at present. Right would be somewhat challenging. 
right. to do. And the other thing is you talk about this wobble. It's, that's the special example of if, for instance, the Earth was the only planet around the sun, it'd be yeah. very easy to see because like, oh, look, this one planet does this one thing. Um, but in fact, what happens is every planet is doing this. So they see lots of ups and downs. And in fact, yeah. what happens with astronomers is they're able to sort of separate that out and say, okay, well, here is a periodic pull in, the, in towards us, that's probably one of the planets. And yeah. this other thing at a different rate, mm -hmm. that's some other planet. So for instance, Ju all the big planets are doing much more wobbling. That's pulling right. the yeah. So around. somebody watching our star is going to notice the Jupiter wobble way before they notice our wobble. Yeah. Um, so if they're a little, if they're not being particularly thorough, they might look at our star and say, oh, there's just a big gas giant there. And if they look a little more closely, they'd they'd see Saturn and say, oh, another gas giant. And they look a little more closely and say, oh, there's Uranus. There's another gas giant. This is a totally uninteresting system, right? We don't. <laughs> why should we bother looking more carefully in that? Right. Um, right. And they would have to look really closely before they noticed Earth's wobble. <laughs> right. But if if they are like us, for instance, um, what happened was in in all the early discoveries using this method were of Jupiter-sized planets uh, right. because those are, it seems to be yeah, a Jupiter generate more wobble. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And we are very interested in finding smaller. So when you hear, we found an Earth or a super, you know, something close to the size of Earth around another planet, if it was used using the wobble method, then it's because they're, they look very, and they're able to pull out this tiny little movement of that star on some regularity and they're able to separate that out from the other um, pushing and pulling of all the yeah, other things. Okay. Like this. Um, and this is one of the downsides of the wobble method is that uh, it's only good for detecting really big planets, whereas the transit method can find smaller ones reliably. Right. And um, it has to be a planet that goes around the sun frequent enough for us to see it within our own lifetime. Let yeah, alone that's our right. own so budget. For instance, if you are watching and this is, um, this would be a downside of the transit method is if right. you're watching for Jupiter, um, Jupiter goes around once every 12 years. So if you happen to be looking for the transit for 11 years and 10 months of that, right. uh, you wouldn't see anything. So you have to be looking at just the right moment too. Whereas yeah. if you're watching for the earth, you've got a much more frequent chance of seeing it. And if you're watching for Mercury, um, you can see it once a month if you're careful. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and so we can be seen actually. So that, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So the problem, let's say this, the problem isn't, you know, we know that, okay, if we want to be seen more clearly, then we, we need to ask for, uh, we need to have submit a new request for funding or whatever you would call that RFP request for yes. <laughs> something to the government for a lot more money so that we can relocate Jupiter and uh, bring it into the sol closer to the sun mm -hmm. to perform more, but that that really is a a risky thing. Uh, not yeah, to mention money wise, wrong with moving Jupiter. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> that really is our best. If we want to use the wobble to reveal ourselves, um, right. we've got to be ready to do that because we'll have to move Jupiter back and forth regularly, um, right? To to get the sig signal out there. Okay. Now, short of that, let's say let's let's allow them to increase their budget and uh you know the scorpions uh, maybe they got some help from the vulcans 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the Vulcans gave them a grant. You know, they said, we know you're scorpions. You, you have this uh, inappropriate behavior where sometimes you bite us. But, uh, you know, it's fine. Um, we respect your scientific abilities. And so here's, here's a grant. Uh, so they, they increase the sensitivity of things. So, great. They see Earth and they see Mars and they see Venus. They know Sol, as, as they may call it. Um, or probably it has some boring name, just like we give random exactly stars. Exactly, right. Yeah. You know, 7721, whatever. Um, and uh, they see all these wobbles and, okay, well, there's nothing special about these wobbles. The, this star, Sol seems to have this number of planets, this many are tiny, and this many are big. There's one drunk driver we'll call Pluto, and uh, that's that. But we want to put in some, like we were using, we want to send a Morse code. We want to say happy birthday using the wobble method, and who doesn't? Yeah. Right? Okay. And so what can we do? First thing that comes to mind is maybe... um can we adjust the orbit of the moon, which seems to be the closest big thing nearby that we might be able to do something to, does the moon, the moon must affect, no, it wouldn't, right? It would be combined the, the moon, with the earth. So the moon will, makes the earth wobble. Um, oh, okay. And then indirectly, because uh, the earth makes the sun wobble a little bit, the moon makes the sun wobble too. Um, but it's a, teeny tiny effect um right i don't know like de- detecting um exo moons um finding plant uh, moons around planets around other stars can be done but it's very hard um so that would be a tough one really we're better off using the biggest thing we can find and scooting it around yes and we would uh it would have to be yeah, you know, in a weird way, they would simply say, "Well, there's th- this would be very hard to do because um, whatever thing you're talking about, if you don't do anything other than put it there, then it's just going to be a regular cycle." Exactly. Yeah. So you've so got you'd to, have you've to got move to, it constantly. Right. You've got to mess <laughs> with it regularly, um, which right. is um, uh, which is problematic. But you know, if we're uh, a gigantic civilization, then maybe that's all we have. That's what we spend our time doing. No biggie. Right. So, you know, let's grab, we're, we, we go all out. We grab Jupiter. What do you got to do, though? You got to, in a way, we would have to treat it in the extreme. Basically, what we're talking about is, is almost as if you have, like, if you had two magnets, and let's pretend that hmm. one of them is yep. the sun and the other is a magnet. Um, so you got the, the sun is a gigantic magnet, and then you have a tiny, you know, relatively tiny, but it's a Jupiter-sized magnet. Um, kind of, you want to push it at the sun and then pull it away, and push it at the sun, so you can sort of like literally just type out a message mm-hmm. by moving the sun. Yeah, that way that's yeah, going to okay. be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, at that point, I'm not sure I would even say that's an intelligent civilization. I would say that is a uh, they've gone insane. <laughs> well, it, or maybe they're just bored. <laughs> Right. Once your civilization gets to be a million years old, you've got like nothing else to do. Like, eh, let's (laughs) see if we can wobble our sun. Right. So if, for instance, Tabby's star, which is one of the recent ones in the news uh, that seem to be blinking in a strange way, right? And people say, is it Mm -hmm. a Dyson sphere? Is this a signal being sent to us? Are they uh, really might be an indication of of the most bored civilizations out there. That's right. 
Um, it's, uh, uh, they're just, you know, bored teenagers with nothing to do. And they're like, all right, let's, uh, let's see if we can get the star to wobble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then just to, to wrap this up, basically the, the most obvious form of SETI that we are, or, 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 or at least attention getting, you know, trying to be seen, uh, whether intentionally or not in this case, um, that we've been doing is broadcasting and any, any fan who's seen the movie contact or, you know, uh, we've been broadcasting mm -hmm. messages. Now there's, uh, Frank Drake and, and the very, very early SETI group broadcast a specific message, which we can do. We've done that actually more than once. Here's a message. Just send it out there using the giant radio telescope, uh, in Puerto Rico, Arecibo, but all our television and all our radio, signals are going out into space and that is probably the most clear unequivocal portrait of a mm -hmm. civilization that is bored out of their mind yeah that's right exactly right so the, the aliens <laughs> find our broadcast of the andy griffith show and they're like oh my god how bored must these people be that this is an entertaining thing we right. should really go put them out of their misery that's right. And in fact, they would see, you know, television. So the Andy Griffith, very benign, very pleasant. You know, mm -hmm. they, might, they might not quite get the picture then. But then as they see television getting more and more extreme, working its way up to reality television and Survivor, <laughs> things like that. Uh, not to mention our, you know, just the news and things like that. They, they might just say, wow, they, they're really, this is the chronic, the boredom is going insane. This civilization is going to destroy itself. That might be an early indicator yep, of, of people that. you need to stay away from. Just write them off. Or get ready, get your salvage operation ready, because there's going to be a pre-planet. <laughs> Very soon, there will be some space. Yeah. For the taking. Um, if you were using the wobble method, what message would you send? Um, oh, I've got to keep this PG-13, don't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, what's the, what's the question we really want the alien, uh, answer to, um, how does oh, see, now that's interesting. You, that's, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's a good point. You're, you actually took it, you did something I wouldn't have done, which is you, you, you said, Hey, let me use this as a, as a, uh, an opportunity to learn. You will ask them a question as opposed to just shouting something. So yeah. sorry, your, your question for the aliens is, Oh yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, where do the socks go in the dryer? <laughs> oh, in that regard mine would be come here often oh yeah that'd be good See, right um but then the, their answer which will take you know 40 years to get to us is <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> or it might be their phone number uh yeah that's right eight six seven five three oh nine yeah yeah <laughs> well done well done uh kids look up that number <laughs> It'll be humming at very soon. Has that number? Yeah, yeah, which turned out to be right. So fantastic. Well, thank you, thank you for all these tips. I think these are very valuable, um, and I know that given all the all the information we've been trying to absorb on the pandemic and other things about how to you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. I think it's it's helpful to have this put on that yeah. plate, just something to put it on your to do list wobble the sun. <laughs>
Um, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, not at the moment. I I will plug uh, your local bookstore. Oh, uh, the nice. wherever it is, your local, you know, especially an independent bookstore. But uh, at this point, they're all a bit independent. They're all struggling, I suppose. Um, uh, the Strand, one of the greatest bookstores known to man and mankind and womankind and children of all ages. Uh, the Strand has been around, uh, it's been in New York City for, I don't know, 150,000 yeah. years or something like that. Um, uh, said that of all the things they've been through, it was just a, just a fun thing. There was an article in the New York Times about how they were struggling. They really didn't know if they'd make it. And one of the most beautiful, uh, heartwarming things happened. That, 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 that Sunday morning, that article was published. The owner of the Strand, who is the grandchild of the original founder, said, you know, we might not make it because... Uh, there's no people coming to the shop. And so a line formed that day. And I went there yesterday. So that line has been there for three days, nonstop. People are lined up to go there to buy books, actual books. And I got to tell you, I'm glad I did. It was, uh, you know, I might have been risking my life. But for a, for an independent bookstore, in fact, The Strand, which I have great, as most New Yorkers do, a sentimental attachment to, it was wonderful to go there and just look at books, just stand in this mm -hmm. place yeah, and look fun. at books. That's no nice. I bought, a, like yeah. bought a bunch of books. And so go to The Strand if you're in New York uh, or buy online. Do the, go, uh, you, They're online. You can buy things online. They will appreciate that every bit as much. And um, there are at least two copies and I'm sure there's more in the back, possibly, uh, of Matthew Stanley's Einstein's War. Ah, this is true. Available for sale, which is an excellent book, by the way. Um, I will post a picture of that. And uh, But boy, I, I also give you props for writing a book about Einstein because when you go to the Einstein section, there are it's like three or four <laughs> shelves. Einstein, Einstein, Einstein. But... Uh, this is a good one. Einstein to War by Matthew Stanley. Support your local uh, or your very remote, if you're in another country, support a one bookstore in New York, The Strand. Um, thank you all for listening. On Monday, we'll be back with uh, uh, What the If News uh, with Gary Pen Gary Panizia. <laughs> Gabby Panizia, who, uh, as long as I know, will probably still have that name. Gabby. Um, and uh, write us a review, please, on using your podcast app. We would love that. We've been getting some. In fact, I'll, I'll read some more. And send us uh, emails, feedback at whattheif.com, or go to the website, whattheif.com. Send us a message right from there. And uh, subscribe if you haven't. You can do it right, that, right there on the website, and you can listen to all our other episodes. They're all there for your enjoyment and entertainment. And until then... Um, when I think of all the stars that might be wobbling and wiggling and doing the twist in the sky at this very moment, I cannot help but scream. What the if? See you next week. Have a great weekend. Stay well and be in touch.